0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hello, City Beautiful. It is good to be with you this morning. We're going to be continuing on in our series today uh, called Charismata about the spiritual gifts, how God has empowered each one of us uh, to demonstrate His love to the world and kind of reconciling the world back to God. But, um, you know, at the beginning of the message last week, um, I just felt like it was really important to, just to take a moment and talk about how uh, if we're to pursue a sustainable life of justice, we need both contemplation and action. And and one of the things that that I'm kind of prayerfully considering as we're thinking about more of our long-term view towards justice, especially racial justice, is periodically um, just sharing with you guys some things that I find really helpful in um, being educated or taking action. And so um, we had a conversation last Sunday on Zoom with about 17 people in our community about um, about everything that's going on, and how we're feeling about it, what we're finding we can do as individuals, and then what we as a community can do Um, together and there's a few things that I found really uh, particularly important for us to remember and I wanted to give these tips to you to encourage you in that same spirit of Taking the long view, seeing this as a marathon um, of how to stay engaged, um, how to hold yourself uh, accountable uh, to being changed so that this isn't just like a flash in the pan, everybody posts everything in the first two weeks and then it kind of peters off where we can enter back into uh, our comfortable life. So, you know, I think it is very easy to feel overwhelmed uh, by the task at hand. And, for, you know, for, for many of you, Um, where maybe you haven't really considered a lot the issue of race, it can feel like so much is coming at you so quickly. Um, But even for many of you who have maybe been kind of aware of the reality of racial tensions in our country or history, you still don't quite know what's the next move that you can take. Uh, And so I want to break this down for you to make it more manageable. Just a couple things that I've found really helpful. Um, The first is this. Find a buddy who can hold you accountable to the steps that you've agreed to take um If we try to do this alone, we often find ourselves just kind of petering out on on that. And I think it's really important that we have somebody that we can trust, that we can be honest with, that we can check in with periodically and ask them, how are you feeling? What are you processing right now? What are the questions that you're trying to find answers to? And what are the practical steps that you're taking to educate yourself or to take action? Um, One of the things, for example, that maybe you've heard about recently is called uh, optic ally. And this is any kind of advocacy where you are seen for doing something by the public. So for example, um, posting things on social media. And it isn't inherently wrong, but sometimes if our only outlet for action comes from the things that we can be seen doing by others, um, that tends to wane as, again, the hype starts to wear away. And we find maybe even we're doing things so that we can be recognized as being an ally. And so it's important to find ways that we can do things That are part of our normal everyday life. And I think for many of us, perhaps we don't want to share necessarily the things that we're doing. Think about Jesus saying, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that when we give, we give in secret so that we aren't seen as, as being people who are, are uh, posturing. And I think having a buddy that you can be really honest with is so healthy and so important uh, because you can just say, here are the things that I want to do or that I want to learn and I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to check in with me. And uh, So having that regular check-in. That brings us to the second one. Um, build regular rhythms into your schedule educate yourself and or take action. I think the saddest thing that could happen is where so many of us are aware that there's a major issue and that we're reading and we're learning right now, but like I said, that temptation to kind of just let life slip back into what we perceive out of our privilege as being normal life, which means life where we're not affected by the reality of the racial undertones in our society. And so It's important that now you enter into that discipline of setting rhythms in your schedule to be able to. To to learn something new or to take a new action. Make notifications uh, on your phone, uh, build events into your calendar. You know, I've said it before, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God has ever given us and that the calendar app on your phone is the second greatest gift that you can have. But if you can chart that out, like every week you want to do one new thing or every month you want to really sit down and learn a new concept or find a new place to to get invested, uh, do that now. Now, while you're, while you're feeling so strongly uh, that call towards justice and make it part of your regular rhythm. And thirdly and finally, write out any of the questions that you have right now and then explore them one at a time. I think this is for many of you. You feel so overwhelmed. There's so many terms coming at you. There's so much history. There's so many avenues for doing something that you can kind of have that, that freeze moment where it's just too much, and then it all passes by and then you wonder, well, what happened? Why, why wasn't I able to take a step? I think if you can sit down, just start journaling. What are the questions that you have? What are the things that you want to explore? And then just taking them one at a time. Again, that this is a marathon, not a sprint. So maybe you want to learn about the history of racism in our country. And that's the first thing that you want to do. And, and there's amazing documentaries out there that will walk you through that. Um, Perhaps you want to really find some black voices that are kind of out on the front lines of the conversation, the people that have been putting in the work for many years that, can, that carry a lot of wisdom and can teach us what it looks like to actually advocate for black lives. So maybe you start asking around or doing the research, what are the, what are the, the, the voices that I could be listening to now? Um, maybe you want to you want to donate money, um, but you want to find really responsible organizations. So you take an afternoon, you sit down, and you start doing the research, looking for who are the organizations that have a really great track record and history that are responsible with the funds. Um, one thing I was looking at today: does this organization actually need funds right now, or are they all funded up and they're actually telling people to go to other organizations because that's a that's a reality of where we're at right now. Um, but take your time and, and set goals for yourself, and I think you'll find that you are far more able to not only educate yourself, but to be an advocate in the long term. So I'm going to pray, um, and we're going to jump into the word the Lord has for us today on uh, apostleship. Um, so Heavenly Father, we testify that you are here, um, and here is a very odd word when we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, um, but we're witnessing it on a Sunday morning, Uh And and together means that we're all um, on a website together. How strange it is, but yet you are here. You're in the midst of it. This is holy ground, and this is a holy moment because this is the place where you're encountering your people that through worship and word, um, we're opening ourselves up to recognize that you are present, that you're with us and that you're for us. And so God, I just pray um, that through your Holy Spirit in this season, that you would be continuing to inspire us um, on the long road towards justice, um, that we would take the passion and the zeal that we feel feel now, but that we would turn that into long-term vision and, and discipline that we would lovingly hold each other accountable and encourage each other to stay with it and to stay focused, um, that our lives wouldn't be ones that kind of sink back into passive comfort, um, but that we're energized by the kingdom work that you've given us to do. Um, So uh, yeah, Lord, just be with us today. Continue to work and speak however you see fit. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, by now, if you've been part of our church for more than three months, uh, it is probably not surprising to you that I really, really love Star Trek. Although maybe if you haven't been with us for that long and you look at me, you go, that looks like the kind of guy that really likes Star Trek. Star Trek. Um, I grew up watching the show. Um, for me, it was it was Voyager was a really big deal. I remember watching that um, with my dad, but Next Generation, I love it. The original series was really fascinating, and especially growing up and really developing this deeper appreciation for Star Trek and all of its different avenues, um, kind of what I mostly loved about it was this grand vision that it had for the future, and that was one of the revolutionary um, concepts about Star Trek when it first came out in the 1960s, although people didn't attach to it um, right at the beginning. It was so different than everything else. Rather than being this vision of the future that's uh, you know, apocalyptic and everything's a disaster, it painted a, a future vision where um, poverty has been eradicated, where there's no more money, um, but that everybody works for the common good of society. And the revolutionary nature of Star Trek, especially in the 60s, but all throughout every series in its best has been talking about how people get along for the common good in the spirit of exploration. It was dealing with concepts of race and misogyny um, in the 1960s in revolutionary ways that were in welcoming people to start thinking in new ways about their own prejudices. Um, and at the beginning of every Star Trek uh, series, there's kind of this, this, this mantra, this statement that's made. It's to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And that, I love that. I think that that's such a, what, what a great way to set the tone uh, for an entire universe of television shows and movies and so on to boldly go where no man has gone before, to seek the uncharted territories. I'm fascinated by people who can answer that call um, because that's not who I am. Um, I, I don't tend to be the kind of person that's looking for the new territory or the avant-garde or the unexplored country, uh, but I tend to be someone who naturally gravitates to the here and now um, and is seeking to hold this thing here together. And that's why I'm, I so much love apostles. Um, I think uh, the the role and the gift of an apostle is one that is very very misunderstood in our modern era. But I hope that today I can kind of give you a vision for what an apostle really is, um, and then um, hopefully some of you will recognize that in some way you have that gift of apostleship, and that will bless our community. So, uh, well, the passage that we looked at last week was 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We read the whole chapter. And right at the end, we see Paul beginning to break, it, break down this large concept of what the gifts are for, how they work together as the body, and he begins to speak about the roles of each of those individual gifts. Um, and this is in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 and 28. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And there's another very similar list in Ephesians chapter 4, which is a passage that we've looked at a lot in our church. This is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so, in both of these passages, Paul mentions the apostle First, And, you know, maybe you are familiar with that term when it comes to the 12 disciples becoming the 12 apostles or Paul considering himself an apostle or when Paul's writings, he talks about these other people that are traveling through the known world um, on behalf of Jesus, calling themselves apostles. So what is an apostle. What are we talking about? Apostles are spiritual entrepreneurs who enter into spaces where the kingdom of God is yet to be revealed. Now what we see in both of these passages is that there is an order to the gifts that helps to establish the church. And as we've talked about before, the church is simply uh, the new family of God gathered together to seek after and to manifest uh, the kingdom of God. The church and the kingdom are not necessarily the same thing. And it's important to note here, when Paul's talking about the gifts and how we value people and rank people by their gifts, that apostles are not more important Than everybody, but in this order that Paul says in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, apostles come first because apostles lay the groundwork for the church in those new territories. So the word apostle um, actually comes from the Greek navy in the fourth century. Um, so here's some history for you history buffs. Um, in the 4th century BC, um, the Greek navy would send out a ship and the, would, the admiral would be called the Apostolos and he would be uh, loaded up with, um, with uh, uh, you know naval officers and soldiers and supplies and they'd, they'd set off from Greece, they'd land in a new territory and on the coast they would establish a little colony of Greece and they would bring that culture, and they'd kind of establish a new territory. So then Greek citizens would begin to move in and and live in that space. And once that new territory, that new city was established, then the Apostolos and his people would sail off, and they'd enter into another territory, and they'd go about building these little colonies of Greece. Um, And so the early church Kind of borrowed that language from the Greeks and applied that same principle to people who were doing that same thing but as kingdom work. The the word apostle literally means one who is sent. So anybody who was sent out into a new territory to establish the colony of heaven where it previously was not. Another good way to think of an apostle is as an ambassador, that the apostle carries the authority of the, the sending party into that new space, and through, the, through, through that authority, they're able to speak on behalf of their own people to, to bring people into that new thing that's happening in that new space. And I really like thinking of apostles in our modern era uh, as entrepreneurs. I think it's a good analogy. Many of you are entrepreneurs, you run your own uh, businesses, you know, there wasn't a thing or you weren't doing that and you didn't want to work for yourself and so you sat down and you did the hard work and you kind of cast vision for what your business was going to be and you started to kind of get people on board with it and to help support you in your business Um, and you took the risk of following through on that vision. Where something wasn't, now there is something. I think that's a great modern analogy for apostles, that apostles um, are, they like to start things up. Um, They have this huge vision that they get from God and they take the risk of seeing that vision come to life in new ways. And so the apostle lays the groundwork for the church, and then we see this kind of parade of gifts that come after the apostle. So the apostle lays the groundwork, this big picture vision. Prophets, which uh, we'll be talking about next week. Prophets speak on behalf of God what he's saying in the moment getting more into the details of creating a culture in a space. Um, And then teachers come along to unpack the scriptures to kind of help people be immersed in the story of God. Um, Evangelists go out from that church and begin to share the good news with the surrounding communities and draw people into that new thing that God is doing. And then pastors kind of sit in the middle as shepherds and kind of hold the community together, making sure that everybody moves in the same direction. And so we see not that there's a, a level of importance or value based on those gifts, especially in that five-fold ministry in Ephesians 4, but there is a precedent for how they're laid out that first the apostles come and then everybody else contributes to the building up of the church. And so apostles give vision for the rest of us to begin establishing the kingdom in new territories. Um, a good indicator whether or not you might have an apostolic gift is are you, do you naturally gravitate toward the uncharted territories? Do you naturally gravitate toward the new and the exciting and the potential? Is that where you really find yourself coming to life? That's a good indicator that you may actually have an apostolic gift. Um, in, In theology, we talk about the already not yet of the kingdom that between the first coming of Christ that we see in scripture and his second coming at the end of time, we're kind of squeezed in this place that the kingdom of God is already here. It's upon us. It's at hand. And yet we're waiting for the kingdom to come. This is why we pray, um, you know, heaven come to earth. And we live in this creative tension between the kingdom is already here and the kingdom is not yet here. And I think apostles really live in that space well because they have have the vision of the coming kingdom, and they're able to manifest that in places that we may not see it right now. And so, a healthy apostle receives vision from God of what God wants to do in these new spaces, these new territories. And it's been my observation often that unhealthy apostles can just impose their version of vision uh, without consulting God. Um, Because they're such active people, they're such visionaries, it's very easy for apostles to forget to listen for God and what he's calling them to do and to kind of paint their own portrait of what they want the thing to be. And that's a very uh, normal, natural trap for apostles. To take, So there's all sorts of stories in Scripture, I think, that could highlight what an apostle is and does. Um, but the, one of the ones that I was actually brought to is in Numbers 13 and 14. And I want to kind of read a couple portions and tell you this story because it's very strange and it's very wonderful. And um, as I was talking to somebody this week, I really want to start incorporating more um, Old Testament into our New Testament vision just to kind of tie the whole story together. And this is a really, really fun one. So in Numbers 13, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. They've been in the desert for 40 years learning how to rely on God, God rehabilitating them, trying to give them this new identity that's different than their slave identity. Um, And they're kind of on the cusp of entering into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so um, they're, they're kind of on the edge, getting ready to enter into the promised land, and God wants Moses to send some spies, or maybe we could say some apostles in, to see what they see in this new territory. This is uh, beginning in Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And so it goes through and it tells you that there was one representative from each of the 12 tribes that was sent in this little group. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they all unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So, lots of questions there. Very good questions. from Moses, kind of giving them, here's what we need in order to see if this is the territory that we can expect. And so these 12 men, they set out and they head out on this 40-day scouting trip through Canaan, kind of spying it out, trying to answer these questions as best as possible. And it says they bring back um, fruit from the land to show how fruitful it really is. Um, It says they got pomegranates, they've got figs. They said they've got uh, stacks of grapes that are so huge, they had to kind of have two men carry them on a post and they bring them back in uh, to the camp of the Israelites. So it's continuing on uh, in verse 17. Uh, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. I'm sure you all are familiar with where Kadesh in the desert of Paran is. There they reported to them into the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Now, I admit... Part of the reason that I wanted to read this passage is because it speaks of the descendants of Anik, the Anakim, which are the fabled giants of the Old Testament, which, again, could be its whole amazing series on the Nephilim and the Anakim, and why are the giants, and what happened to them now, and what's the government not telling us about um, where all the giant bones are gone? But, again, it's a wonderful distraction. Let's keep thinking about apostles. Um, so... Uh, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb being one of the twelve. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size... We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so the Israelites start freaking out, oh my gosh, there's giants and it seems like it's too much and it's too crazy and maybe we should all just go back to Egypt. It wasn't so bad when we were in slavery. At least we had three meals a day and we had work or whatever it is. And we see this a lot in the Israelites that they, whenever they panic, they want to go back to the place of slavery because if we're honest, for many of us, we would rather deal with the abusive past That we can know how to survive in, than stepping into new territories of possible goodness that we don't know how to thrive in, and so they want to go back to Egypt. Moses is trying to calm everybody down, and this is what happens in uh, chapter fourteen. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, these are two of those twelve. Who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So, this, I, lo- I love this story because is it not the story of all of us? We're in this place. We know that God's calling us into new places, into places of thriving, but we see the potential of what the future has to hold. We're afraid. We want to turn around. We want to go back to our small ways of thinking. We want to go back to enslaved mentality. But we need people in our midst to go, no we're going there and we're going to take the land um, because God is with us. God is on our side. And so Caleb and Joshua, I think, are early models for us of apostles because they had this vision from God uh, because they believed more about who God was and what God was capable of doing than they did about the impossibility of the task of taking the promised land. I think that's so, so powerful for us today. This is why we need apostles in our midst, always calling us to the horizon, always challenging us not to get too comfortable in our patterns here and now. And I know this is a problem that I have because I'm so present-oriented that I need the apostles in my life. They're saying, hey, uncharted territories, new possibilities, let's keep trusting God for where he is leading us. And so, Uh, I want to bring it a little bit more specific from there and talk about some kind of personality traits that I often see in people that have a very strong apostolic gift. Because apostles are big picture visionaries, they often struggle with the everydayness of communal life. Apostles can be very uh, aggressive, assertive people. Um, They want change. They want reform. They kind of get itchy when things are too normal and mundane. And because of that, apostles have a tendency uh, to steamroll people in organizations in order to get the thing to move forward or to change. I had some friends several years ago worked for a nonprofit organization that was doing some really good work, but they were sharing with me their frustration um, that the 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 founder and CEO of this nonprofit as good as the, the the work was that they were doing was never content and was always about racing forward and growing and becoming bigger and, and 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 having a bigger platform and they were always trying to convince him we need to slow down there's a lot of little holes that are popping up in our organization that we need to take care of but he was such a visionary that he didn't have time to slow down and to take care of the details and they told me that unfortunately in those first several years of this organization he cycled through whole staffs every six months or so because he burned out the people that were working for him because he wouldn't slow down. And I think that's very common among people with an apostolic gift. Um, I would be willing to bet that a significant portion of pastors in the United States today are not pastors, they're actually apostles. Apostles. Now why is that? Because we, we we have this, you know, we use that term pastor and we put it over anybody who leads a church. I think there's a lot of people in, in pastoral positions who have amazing vision from God. They love to be starters. They love to be innovators. They love the new territory. Um, but they do not like the normal everyday things that come with being a pastor, of shepherding a flock, of relating to the people. And I think, when those apostles have proper positions in leadership in church, it can be a really good place if they're balanced out with with a team that helps to bring that fuller picture. But if you just take an apostle and you put them in the position of pastor, um, a lot of damage can happen uh, within churches. Um, another thing, because apostles tend to be um, very uh, very assertive and always thinking about forward movement, is that the the vision for for new territory and new things can easily turn into domination and colonization. Now, if you know anything about uh, missionary history, you know that there was a huge shift um, in attitude in the 1850s because what we realized within the Christian household up until that point is that we thought we were bringing the gospel of Jesus into new territories around the world. Think about um, in Africa and South America and Asia especially. We thought that we were bringing the good news of Jesus and that we were winning to him new converts, what we were actually doing was colonizing and imposing a European culture on the cultures that were present there and doing it in the name of Jesus. And there was a major shift in missionary tactics um, to move away from that colonization mentality to actually trying to bring uh, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Um, and, and so, That mentality can still be very present today, where we look to colonize spaces, we look to dominate people and cultures, rather than leading them into living relationship with Jesus. And so that's why it's so important that apostles find themselves as being part of a team. Um, Apostles tend to be much more solutions and task-oriented than they are people-oriented. And so that's something that apostles really have to work at, is learning to have a heart for people. And apostles love to think in new ways about potentially old problems. That's the innovator part. That's the entrepreneur. Um, But often apostles um, are so used to being on the avant-garde. That's another military term, which means the front lines. And you think about avant-garde in like art and music. It's people that are on the the, the threshold of a new genre or exploration of a new way of making art. Um, apostles are so used to living on the avant-garde that they can tend to forget where it is that they came from. And so a lot of times, apostles in church are so desperate to be in the new territory um, that they're called to say the Old things, the ancient truths in new ways, that very quickly, if they're not careful, they begin to say new things in new ways, and they begin to wander away from the core truth of the gospel message. Um, And that's why it's so important that apostles are always partnered with teachers, because teachers are often looking back and saying, how do we continue on the story of God? How do we immerse ourselves in the story of God so that we never lose our grounding in that foundational truth? Um, So the apostles help in unexplored territories, but teachers and pastors remind us of, of the country that we have come from. So apostles need to practice being rooted in community, in living the day in, day out of knowing people, of being known by them, of seeing the sacredness of what we might think is the mundane, normal, everyday practice of being in community because not everything's going to be exciting and new. We have to cherish the routine, the normal. Um, Apostles need to be teachable um, because they can be so visionary, they need to be able to be corrected, um, and they need to be able to receive. They need to put themselves in places of, of receiving from other people, um, and they need to cherish that mundane life, as I said. So, if that resonates with you if, you, if you're listening to this, maybe you took the assessment already this week or you're listening to what I'm saying and you're going, you know, I think that's me. I want you to go ahead and, and, and make a comment in, uh, in the chat just to let us know if we have anybody that we think is in that apostolic position uh, because through this series, we want to really take tabs on where our people are at in terms of the spiritual gifts. And what we're going to do is I'm going to lead us in some apostolic prayers. Um, Like I said last week, all of the gifts are available to all of us all the time, but some of the gifts are specially invested in us that speak more to our calling. And I think it's always good for all of us to have a little bit of that apostolic heart, that little apostolic mentality. So I'm going to lead us through some prayers um, that help us to think in apostolic ways. And so I'm going to pray, and you're going to respond from home, uh, with uh, a passage of scripture that speaks of vision, and then I'm going to pray over us a wonderful apostolic prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need from you vision of where we are headed and what you desire to do. King Jesus. We want to be ambassadors of your kingdom, holding no other allegiance. Holy Spirit, we need you to give us spiritual eyes to see the world as it could be. And then you respond with this line from Proverbs 29. We need vision for the church. Show us where to go in the 21st century. Show us the new ways we need to be in the world to see your kingdom come, and you respond with this passage from Joel. We need vision for justice in a world consumed with the status quo. We can no longer be content with systems of power that are not in alignment with your desire for your creation. And you'll respond with this line from Amos 5. We need vision for our own lives. We have played it safe. We have given ourselves over to lesser gods. We have been afraid of the unknown. Kindle in us the apostolic heart to follow your spirit into new territories because we are more confident in your guidance than we are in our inadequacies. And you'll respond with this passage from Romans 8. And then I want to finish with this prayer that's attributed to Sir Francis Drake. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well-pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery we're losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes, and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church Podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at citybeautifulch. We hope you join us again soon.